what a day it will be when you return and you make all things new. What a day that will be. There are days, uh, Lord, when we see and smell and feel the earth groaning. And you have promised that someday you will return and you will make all things new. And in the meantime, Lord, you've also promised to be with us You are with us. You are the with us God. God of love and of grace and of mercy. And Lord, as we gather here this morning in this space or online, we ask that your will would be done here this morning, that you would comfort those who are afflicted. And that you would agitate the comfortable. That you would lead us closer to you in relationship to you and to each other. That you would glorify yourself in our midst here this morning. Help us to focus for a few more minutes, Lord, as we open up Scripture and as you illuminate the truth that you have for us. You are here by your Holy Spirit. Of that we are sure and thankful. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We have, uh, thank you, uh, team, uh, again this morning. Uh, this is uh, what they are affectionately calling Acoustic Sunday. Um, and so we thank you all for your many and varied contributions to leading us in worship and praise here this morning, tuning our hearts and our minds. Uh, we've taken somewhat of an abbreviated service during the summer. Uh, again, starting in the fall, we will return to um, our, our preaching, teaching schedule, which will include a Q&R times. So what that means is during the, um, what we would call preaching time, uh, I was explaining to a young gentleman who lives in our uh, neighborhood here. He came in, we were talking about what is church all about, and I said, well, this, when we got to talking about this sort of sermon thing that we do, I said, it's kind of like a church version of a TED Talk. Um, that's kind of, how do you explain this otherwise, right? If nobody's got experience with it, but that's kind of what it is. And there are people that don't have experience with it. And what I will be doing again starting in the fall is pausing for question and response. Because what is really important is, you're going to hear me say this a lot, is a posture of humility and dialogue, which I want to uh, model. But I also want for you to engage through your questions and, and demonstrate, like the Lord Jesus himself said, to ask and to seek and to knock. And so I want you to ask questions. And so we'll continue that starting in the fall. It'll be live, of course. We pause. You text or email or stand up. And we ask questions. And I engage with you in that regard. Well, we are what some people would say we are in an information age. Um, and, you know, at this point, it is exponential, and now there's big data. 
And, but the reality is that even with big data and information, that doesn't necessarily beget knowledge. And even if you have information and data, and even if you know some of it, that doesn't necessarily also mean wisdom. And it's interesting that I would say that most of us desire wisdom. And it is especially, um, uh, uh, we're acutely aware of that when we're faced with something difficult, a decision, a circumstance of life. And what we pray for is not more data. We pray for wisdom. How do I handle this? How do we sort through this, navigate? The question this morning is, what is the head of wisdom? What is the beginning? How or where does it start? We are in a short sermon series for the next few weeks in the book of Proverbs. And this morning, I thought we would start as the song says at the very beginning of this book, a very beginning, that it's a very good place to start. Proverbs 1 verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. David, King David, a well-respected, renowned king, man after God's own heart, respected and revered in his own right. And these Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, is written by his son, Solomon, who was also king. He was the third king. For Israel. Solomon reigned 40 years. Another name given to him was Jedediah, which means beloved of God. So that's who's writing these Proverbs in this book that we are going to go through in a few uh, Sundays. So what is it that Solomon is going to share with us in this book? Of Proverbs. What is it that he's going to share and what is the purpose for his writing and his sharing this information? Well, let's continue in verse 2. Verse 2, verse 6. For learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. Let the wise also hear and gain in learning, and the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. To sum up what he is going to be writing about and teaching about, to sum it up in a word, it would be wisdom. And his purpose and desire is that the hearers and subsequently the readers of these Proverbs acquire, develop, and grow in wisdom. That is what he is talking about. And um, let's see if I can, no, maybe I'll just leave that alone. And he has articulated four kinds of wisdom. Moral wisdom, uh, 
intellectual, of course, practical, and even the mysteries of life. And these are the kinds of things that he is going to share about. But the thing is, there's something else we need to know about Solomon, is that early on in his kingship, he met the Lord in a, a dream, and the Lord asked him, what can I give you? What, what can I grant you? How can I help you in your kingship? And Solomon admitted to the Lord that he was young. He didn't know what he was doing. He sort of got this by way of, uh, uh, through his father. And what Solomon asked for was wisdom to lead the people of Israel. He requested wisdom. And the Lord was so delighted with that, that he granted Solomon wisdom. Extraordinary wisdom. The Lord said, and you'll find this in 1 Kings chapter 3, the Lord said that there is not going to be another person that follows you in all of human history that has the extent of wisdom that I am going to bestow upon you. And not only that, I'm going to bestow other things, like um, you're going to have a great kingship success and so on. Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs. He wrote over 1,000 songs. He is accredited with writing three of the books of the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. He contributed psalms in the book of Psalms. His wisdom was so renowned that a queen in the southern part of Saudi Arabia, modern-day Saudi Arabia, a queen there, the queen of Sheba, heard of his wisdom and how well he was doing, and she traveled 2,000 kilometers up the Red Sea in order to learn and see for herself what was going on here. That's how renowned Solomon's wisdom was. But Solomon also had a downfall. It's his libido. He just couldn't help himself. And he had wives and women, well, women upon women. And the Lord had said to him, dude, don't do it. Because you are going to, you're going to compromise and you're going to succumb to their ways and their religions and their cults. And he didn't listen to that. And he landed up with a lot of women in a harem. And he did accommodate all kinds of cultish behavior under his proverbial roof. So here's the point. Solomon was granted divine wisdom extraordinaire that was, has not been or will ever be matched again. He had it. It's divine, and he's going to share it with us. But he is also sharing and learning both what comes, the consequence of following and living that wisdom, and also not living divine wisdom. He knows both. So really, the question is, what is the head or the beginning of wisdom and the ongoing beginning, the ongoing development and growth of wisdom? Because wisdom, it seems like wisdom is something that starts fresh. It starts new on a daily basis. And so that is what he's going to share with us. But we need to kind of clarify, what is it exactly that we're talking about? Were we talking about education? No. I'm a proponent of education. I have some. 
Education, is that's not it. Intelligence, or having sort of knowledge in the sense of intelligence, knowing data. You can go on Jeopardy and be the Jeopardy winner and not have wisdom. You can know things, but that's not wisdom. Wisdom is an understanding and applied skill. It's understanding and discernment that's applied. It's applying it to life. It's applying it to life and creation and all that there is. That is wisdom. Separate from knowledge, uh, it uses knowledge and information. And the thing about divine wisdom is that it is always specifically toward what is good. Divine wisdom is always toward what is good. So Solomon here talks about righteousness, being right before God, being in right relationship, a right relationship with other people. He talks about justice, doing what is fair and proper, and equity, being level and and so on. So it's always toward what is good. But if I were to just be completely transparent with you here this morning, the reality is I feel like this information age and this big data uh, environment that we're in is that wisdom has become a casualty of our information age. It's as though um, people don't really believe that there are things like um, a, a universal truth or that there is actually consequences for things. In other words, you can create and con- uh, construct whatever reality you want. Actually, they think so, literally. You can have data, you can have information, but it seems like wisdom has left the building. Big data, internet searches, Well, there is such a thing as your truth and my truth, but only to a degree. Um, You might like roasted caterpillars. Friends of ours in uh, Congo uh, eat roasted caterpillars. I've tried them. They're not bad. Uh, But you might say, no, thanks. You might eat um, uh, chicken's feet. I know some people that know how to make a pretty good uh, uh, chicken's feet, but you go, what? And they like it, and that's good, but you don't. And that's, so and on a preferential level, you could say there's your truth and my truth, but on a, a different level, there are things that are uh, uh, very true, and there are things that are not very true, and you need wisdom in order to discern that. Uh, let me give you an example. An ex- one example would be fire. Fire is, is great. I mean, you go camping, and what do you want to do? You want to sit around the fire. Fire pr- provides heat for us. We need that in Canada in all its various forms. It provides light. But you need to be wise because it can also burn. And if you put your hand in the fire, it doesn't matter how tall you are, how much education you have, or whether you've won Jeopardy or not. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. If you put your hand in the fire, you will get burned. It just is. It it just is. And you need to be wise. 
So there is such a thing as existential truth, the reality of things. And here's the other part. The interesting thing is that what I'm talking about here this morning is the wisdom to discern and know which way to go that sort of implies a truth and a reality. And the thing about it is that this truth or this way does not require you to believe it. It doesn't require favor. Truth in this way, this wise way, doesn't require likes or follows because it just is. And the question for us is what is the head or the beginning of this divine knowledge and understanding, this divine wisdom? And I will tell you, this may come to a, as a shock to you. When I ask you, what is the beginning of this? You may find this shocking, but it's not Google. And it's not your news feed. And you know, we can even breathe a sigh of relief because it's not even chat GPT. Phew. Although that's pretty powerful as I'm understanding. What does Solomon say? Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear? That seems kind of weird to me. When I read that, I'm like, what? That's weird. I mean, we have fear, and it kind of drives a way of living in many ways, but, but God doesn't want us to have fear. Adam, when Adam and Eve sort of broke their promise to God, uh, Adam ran from God. When he made a mistake and he messed things up, rather than running to God, he ran from God out of fear for God. The Israelites were constantly in fear of different things. Jacob was in fear at one point of losing his wife, of losing his family. There is a certain kind of fear that humans express that, that God does not want us to have. This Hebrew word is yare. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, yare. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Yare, the Lord doesn't want us to have that kind of fear, that kind of terror. The writer in 1 John 4 says that perfect love casts out fear. So there's a kind of fear that the Lord absolutely does not want us to have. But there is a, another kind, and the Hebrew word is yir'ah, which is used in Proverbs here, yir'ah. This is a very different kind, and that is one of, it means reverence or respect. It means awe. Yir-ah. The people of God were actually known by this. They were 
Yir'ah people. They were people that revered and respected Yahweh. They were, in English we say God-fearers, but that doesn't mean having terror from God, but having respect and revering and being in awe of Him, Yir'ah. And what Solomon is saying is that it is the respect and reverence of the Lord It isn't fear. He doesn't say fear is the beginning of wisdom. He says fear of the Lord. Yirah, Yahweh. So it's respect and reverence for Yahweh that is the beginning of wisdom. And do you notice things like righteousness and justice and equity? Think of those three concepts for a moment. They require a standard. Righteousness according to who? Justice according to who? Equity according to who? Embedded in those terms is this idea of a standard or a reference point. And so when we have respect or awe of the Lord, He becomes our reference point for determining who and what is righteousness? Who, what is justice properly? So I could say actually that the Lord becomes our reverence point. The Lord is our reverence point. And what Solomon is challenging the people of Israel and he's challenging all of us is to say that the head of wisdom is Fear rightly appropriated. It is reverence and awe rightly appropriated. So this morning I want to challenge you in partnership with Solomon to discern your fear. Discern your fear. Well, people will say, well, we shouldn't be afraid. Fear is not good. Oh, uh, fear. Well, we can't throw the whole thing out. We have fears. We have respect and awe. And there is this fine line in some cases. And there's rational and there's irrational. Irrational fears. Sometimes they're called phobias. That comes from the Greek word for fear. Phobias. Arachnophobia. Anybody? You don't have to put up your hand. Fear of spiders. Right? Agoraphobia is the fear of large spaces or going outside. Uh, uh, Claustrophobia is kind of like the opposite. It's a... The fear of small spaces. Trypophobia is the fear of like many little holes. So like a strawberry could, or like speckles. So there's these kinds of things. But then there are more sort of rational kind of fears where we have a, a, a decent respect or an awe or a reverence. So when you go on a hike, you bring bear spray. Now, you're not like petrified of a bear that keeps you from going on the hike, but you recognize that you're not going to wrestle a bear either. So you bring bear spray and you go on your hike. If you ride a motorcycle, you wear one of these. Well, partly it's because it's the law, frankly. But also, it's not that you're afraid to be on your motorcycle, but you also recognize that you could 
get hurt, and so you wear one of these. If you go in the water, you will wear one of these. If you're a child, maybe you have a, a child version and you give a, a child one of these. It, you still go in the water, but you have a respect for the water. You have a respect for the bears, and so you, you, there's a certain respect. It's not a phobia or a terror. Those kind of come close, but there's another way I want to... This is a picture of Niagara Falls. Uh, I spent a lot of years in, in uh, Ontario and in Toronto. There's something really... If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, there's something really powerful about it. And when you get up close and you hear it rumble, and the spray hits you, and you see the enormity, the magnitude of it, it like, it reaches inside of you and you just, it's not quite a tremble, but it's a tremble, it's a, an awesomeness and you just feel it and you realize how powerful that is and how kind of um, sort of insignificant you are in comparison to that power. And it just, it, it's an awesomeness that can't be explained, it's felt. No wonder the Old Testament describes times when God speaks as his voice being like a roaring, rushing water. But that's the awe and the respect and the reverence that is being talked about here in this yirah. But you know, the thing is, friends, that we even give this reverence and this respect and this awe, we even give it to other people instead of God. We can revere other people. I, in, in, personally, in my life, I have to be so careful because I want people, I, I'm so concerned about what other people think and what they'll think about and what they'll say and all of that. I could be in danger of giving other people, uh, giving my awe and my reverence to other people instead of the Lord. Matthew talks about that when he says, why are you afraid of people? Have reverence for me. And so really, he's challenging us to discern our fears and to give reverence to the Lord himself. This is the way of the wise. And there is the way of the fool as well. And you may, you may know these verses. They're quite sort of famous or popular in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Just pause there for a second and all of you go, oh yes, I recognize that. That makes a lot of sense. Trust in the Lord and, and don't lean on my own understanding and he will make straight my paths. That's verse 5 and 6. But look at what verse 7 says. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Yira, respect, reverence the Lord. And turn from evil. I'm going to invite the music team to come up here as we conclude this morning. Discerning our respect. Discerning our fear. So maybe the question to give you this morning is what are you afraid of? Or who are you afraid of? Are you able to discern what you revere, what you hold as being awesome, 
When we pray, for example, friends, sisters and brothers, when we pray and we ask the Lord for wisdom, it would be great and grand to start with just exalting Him. Lord, You are awesome. As as we sing, You are great and grand and You are full of love and grace and mercy. You created the heavens. You hold all things together. I recognize Your place and Your station and I recognize mine. But then we continue to discern and determine and demonstrate our reverence for God in every circumstance and subject in life. Because wisdom is not constructed. Wisdom is discerned and received. And so for every subject, including perhaps the most powerful one where Solomon himself and his father before him, David, even there, the most sort of uh, difficult one, the libido, would be a great example of discerning wisdom. Discern wisdom that comes from the Lord and exalting Him. It's not a matter of perfection. It's a matter of posture a posture of humility, a posture of being open to the leading of the Lord. And you know what the grace is? The grace is that His wisdom is accessible and available to all of us. His wisdom is accessible and available to all of us. We can pray and ask, and He says that He will bestow His wisdom upon us without any consequence to us. He will not look down on us. But you know what, friends? It means that we exalt Him and we hold Him in reverence. It's His will to do, and we need to be ready to receive. Are you ready to receive?